Today we're going to talk about being chosen. And so let's read some verses. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. That's awesome. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. I don't really feel like there's much I could say after reading that. It's clear. And listen, it changes, it's changed my life. You see, Satan throws things at you. We're going to talk about how he's lost a lot of his power. He threw stuff. Like Jared texted me two weeks ago. He sent me these verses. I was like, whoa. Because he sent me like, 12, like 10 more verses. And I was like, man, that's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff in here. And then he texted me back. He's like, we were talking about it. And maybe these four. And I was like, perfect. Like, this is good enough for me. I can stay on task. But like, there's power in those four verses. And then the devil came at me and was like, dude, you're not good enough. You can't stand on the stage in front of people living the life that you live with the sin that you have and how poor of a dad and husband and work. Like, you can't do it. And I believed him. I did. And then we talked last week about something called works-based Christianity. And I was wrecked right back there where those college kids are sitting. And we're going to talk about that today. Last night, our back window and our car quit working. Not a big deal until you've got to finalize some things for today. And you've got to figure out how to get the window up because there may or may not be some sketchy people who live in your neighborhood who might want to get into your vehicle. Or it's supposed to rain today, right? It's one th- and then this morning, we get texts on the way. There's kidney stone issues. There's allergy issues. Stuff's not working right the way it's supposed to. And then you felt the power of God like 20 minutes ago. And you know who wins, right? I mean, like, isn't that exciting to know that he wins? And that's, gosh, that's, I'm so excited. So first point today is you're chosen. Like, you are chosen. In him, you're also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. You see, Jesus left heaven to come to this world to perform a spiritual procedure on us. That was intended to cut away our sinful nature. He was substitute for sin that I would have 2,000 years later. There's generations and generations and generations of people that did not know that I would ever exist on this earth. And not that I'm anything of any fame or power or glory. But Jesus knew I would be here. And he knew the sin I would carry. And before I could even make it, he put it on a cross. He was my substitute. There's no ritual. There's no amount of good deeds. There's no man-made list to check off. To get to heaven. Only Jesus. He's the only way that we can make it. In the Greek we see the word putting off. And it means stripping off and casting away. Jesus took our sinful nature. 
and he cast it away. It didn't mean he just covered it. He got rid of it. Like, it's gone. That inward circumcision of the heart by which we enter on the, new bless, the blessings of the new covenant. You see, baptism in verse 12. Whoops, wrong button. There we go. Have been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. See, baptism is a transformation from sin to free. From death to life. That baptism in verse 12 is a symbol and the carrying out of our faith in a working God. You see, God's not finished. He's still working in our hearts. Like He is still moving in, our, in us individually. He's moving in our community. He's moving in our state. Like He's moving in the area where we live today. So he's not finished yet, which is amazing. This baptism is a baptism of the Spirit into the body of Christ. Now, we physically get baptism. We have a baptistry over here, and we, and we believe that you should be baptized. But this baptism he's talking about is the baptism in the Spirit of believers. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, But we have all been baptized into one body by one Spirit, and we all share the same Spirit. Everybody in this room has the Spirit of Christ inside them. If they've accepted him as their savior. We are all together in this. And we're going to talk about how different parts come together to make the whole. The second thing. So we're chosen. But we're also forgiven. Colossians 2, 13 and 14. 13 says, when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. You see, we don't need to earn the approval we don't need any approval from anywhere to get Christ's love and his salvation. That's where it hits home for me. Because we live in a world today where we're used to getting approval. We're earning approval constantly. It could be at your job. Maybe it's a box you have to check. So as a teacher, I have evaluations Every year. I've been doing it 15 years now. So I missed out on those tenure evaluations. I'm done with those. So I've got tenure. It's a breath of fresh air if you're in a teaching profession. If you're not, you don't know what I'm talking about. But just believe me. Like, it feels good. But still, once or twice a year, depending on your rotation, they still come and they bring a paper. Now it's an iPad. And they start checking boxes. Where are you? And you're working for approval. You build a lesson to get approval. You're building relationships with kids to get approval. You're building relationships within your building to get approval. And sometimes that approval drives you. Are you more driven for approval or the relationship? And it's a scary place to be when you realize that sometimes the boxes are motivating you more than the purpose behind it. You see, we do that, but we also do it in school. Some of y'all are students, okay? Now, I remember in college, one of my baseball teammates told me, and this was not something I needed to hear. But he told me it anyway. And I wish now I could have like erased it from my memory. But he said, C's get degrees. <laughs> that is not what I needed to know. <laughs> it worked. Okay. Now I made my fair. Okay, I'm not going to even go there. So if you're in a medical school student, don't even think that you ever heard what I just said. Because we all know we don't want to be there if you're 
Yeah, let's keep going. So, so school, right? We get school. We, we check boxes. We look at grades. We're motivated by making sure we hit a deadline, making sure that the work is done right, making sure that we get a grade. Some of y'all are like my wife. She was like A plus, 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 plus box checker. If it's not an A plus, it's not good enough. And I was just like, I just hope I'm eligible. Now, okay, I said that. Like, I made decent grades, okay? Like, I mean, I don't know what my GPA was. She knows hers. Um, but I was just like, just, just make it, you know? And we met in biology class, and if it wasn't for her, I would never have made it through biology. But that's different. So school, we're checking boxes. The next is performance-based incentives. Some of y'all are in sales, and the more boxes you check, the more money you make. And the more money you make, the better off your families are. And maybe it's a trip that you can win. Uh, maybe it's just one of those little boxes they like to give away every once in a while. You don't know what's in it, and you don't really care. You just know, I got the box. You know, like, you know what I mean? So you're getting that. Maybe it's performance-based. Maybe you're in the sports world. That's where my motivation was the most of the time. And I remember specifically in college, we played a doubleheader every day. So every day that we played, I shouldn't say every day. So three or four days a week, we're playing two games. And so in my head, I was thinking, okay, if I get, I got to get three to four hits a day, and I meet my incentives. That means I'm, I'm where I need to be. I'm helping the team the way I'm supposed to. I'm getting on base. I'm doing my thing. And I was motivated by checking boxes. And I felt comfort and peace knowing that I had done the right thing. And then I was moving the needle forward. And it was all like internal. I was doing what I felt like I needed to do to push things forward. You see, Jared talked about works-based Christianity last week. And man... That came all over me. How many times are we just doing what we're supposed to do because we're supposed to do it? I grew up going to church. We went three times a week. My mom and dad are here. Devin talked about his mom and dad and about how they led him. And my, my parents, they're amazing. They've been here twice this morning. You know, like raising me, you thought they'd had enough of it. But they're like two times again today. And I promise you, they're the most supportive people you'll ever meet. If I had a checkers tournament at 4 o'clock, they'd be there. I mean, like, and I mean it. Like, I'm dead serious. They don't care what it is. They'll show up and they'll support you and they'll root you on. They led me to church. They led me to the life that I have today. You see, they moved the needle forward. I've got to continue to move the needle forward. We talked Tuesday at the summit. If you got to go, it was an amazing event about leaving things better than we found them. We've got to leave Eastern Kentucky better than we found it. We've got to leave Pikeville better than we found it. We've got to leave New Beginnings better than we found it. We've got to leave the kids, the, the adults, whoever's in ministry, whoever you meet, we've got to leave it better than we found it. But it's got to be the purpose of Jesus. And, but works-based Christianity gets in the way sometimes, and you sit there and think, well, I did what I was supposed to. But it's not what we're supposed to. You see, verse 14 tells us that he canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Look at what it says. It's he. It's not anything that I did. It's not anything that I can do. I can work my life away, continually chasing, 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 and try to find it, but I'm not going to get it. Jesus is the way that we get it. Let's look at this. I found this, and I, I, I'm a chart guy because I'm a teacher. I'm not a math person, so you're not going to see me do equations and like graphs and stuff like that because that stuff just makes me a little nauseous. Um, I'm not going to lie. Like I badmouth math all the time in eighth grade, so if your kid goes to Pikeville and they go to eighth grade, just know that I'm going to try to discourage them from liking I'm kidding. Like We need the math people. We need you all. Okay. Like A few weeks ago, we were at the doctor's office, 
uh, Hucky has a, an eye specialist he goes to in Cincinnati, and we were there, and he was trying to figure some stuff out. He was just looking and looking, and this guy stumped like, I'm like, I don't know what's coming now, because he's stumped like I'm in trouble with my mental capacity. So he's out. He gets a formula out and starts working stuff, and I'm like, I nudged him. I was like, in the world, look at that. You know, like, I was kind of impressed, and he just goes a whole page, just keeps going. I'm like, how do you figure out a kid's prescription by a formula? I don't even know. Maybe that's a real thing, and people do that stuff. And Brian's telling me that they do, but I don't. Like, I was blown away. You know, and I was like, but I'm a graph guy. So this, like, spoke power to me. And maybe you're a graph person. I'm sorry, a chart person, not a graph person. See, I'm all messed up now. Those graphs get me going. Oh, gosh. I failed college algebra, too. You'll know. I didn't the second time, though. So... Religion by self-effort. We're going to go down that side. Our goal in, by religion and self-effort is to please God by our own good deeds. How do we do that? We practice. We have diligent service. We have discipline. We have obedience. But all for hope of a reward. Our power is used for good, honest effort through self-determination. And our control is self-motivation and self-control. That's how we keep control. But you see... There's something missing there. Because salvation by faith says that our goal is to trust in Christ and then live to please God. Confess, submit, and commit yourself to Christ's control is how we do it. The power that we have is the Holy Spirit, which is in us, to help us do good work for Christ's kingdom. Not for Adam's life, not for Pikeville, not for Eastern Kentucky or Kentucky, but for Christ's kingdom in those locations. And then our control is Christ in me and I in Christ. So what does all this get you in this chart? Religion by self-effort ends up with chronic guilt, apathy, depression, failure, and a constant desire for approval. You see, works-based Christianity, we're checking boxes. We just want approval. But what we see with salvation by faith, we have joy and thankfulness we have love, guidance, service, forgiveness. See, with Christ, there's power. When we do it on our own, this is what you end up with. And I've been on that side of the box. I've almost checked every single result you can check. And maybe I have checked them all. Because there's an emptiness when I'm doing it just to check boxes. When I'm doing it just because it's something I'm supposed to be doing. When I show up on Sunday and Sunday night and Wednesday as a kid, what was, did I get where I was supposed to be? Man, I was there. I was a good person. I was at church. But there's so much more. There's so much more. Because you see, on the other side, we have joy and thankfulness. We have love, God, and service. For, those are the things that change families their children, and their children, and their children. See what I mean? Like those are life-changing things. You see, we were made alive in Christ. The Greek, did you know that if you want to type in a word and learn how to say it, you can do that on Google? I didn't learn it yesterday, but it was like in the last year or two. And the kids in my class... One of them downloaded an app to tell me to shut up. And you're probably like, what kind of teacher are you? Look, I am that teacher, okay? Just throwing it out there. Uh, we say the word shut up in class. The class next to me is not allowed, okay? 
I don't know why. That's her rule. I was like, well, it's her rule. Tell her shut up. I don't care. You know, like, <laughs> do what you want to do. And this girl downloaded, and every time I say, she'll go, like, shut up. And I'm like, and look, we're building a relationship, okay? It's bigger than history in my classroom, right? And so we're building a relationship. Now, should she go tell her boss that one day? No, and I'll tell her that, but like, we're going to keep moving along forward for a little bit first. But they taught me how to push, type in a word, push a button, and it'll say it. And then they get like all caught up. They'll say it like forever, you know? So I did it the other day. Like, you can learn from anybody. It says, this is the Greek word, karadzomahi. That's a fun word to say, really. Karadzomahi, it literally translates to, give, to grant forgiveness, to give freely, to preserve for one a person in peril. Forgiven by grace. Man, I'm thankful for that. So we look at Colossians 2, 14. Whoops, let's go backwards to it. There it is. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away by nailing it on the cross. You see, our payment for crimes that we have has been wiped away. The handwriting of requirements, the lists. If you've been in church a long time, you know sometimes there's lists. And I don't know necessarily there are lists that are made by churches. Sometimes they are. Sometimes it's us as Christians that make lists, right? Because my sin's not the same as yours. Mine I can manage and I can handle, but yours, whoa. <laughs> I can't believe you did that. Right? I mean, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm speaking to me, but like, that's what happens sometimes. Those lists are dangerous. They're scary. That's a moral debt that we can't pay. I mean, list after list after list is going to have my name on it. But you see, all the debt that I have, all the lists, the requirements, the crimes were nailed to a cross. Just like this. They were nailed to the cross and cast away. I don't have to live with that anymore. They're gone. But not only are they gone, Jesus, after... He nailed the list to the cross. He disarmed the powers of evil. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. See, there's four ways he did this. This is powerful to me because not only did he defeat him, he defeated him publicly. And then he like, if you're a kid, middle school, high school, college, you're like, he, like, just shamed him, too. I know he beat him, but, like, he embarrassed him in public with what he's capable of doing. He did it four ways. One, he conquered evil by never giving in. Mark 1, 25 through 27, but Jesus reprimanded him, be quiet, come out of the man, he ordered. At that, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, then came out of him. Amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this, they asked excitedly. It has such authority, even evil spirits obey his orders. Oh, we have powerful worship this morning because evil spirits had to obey Jesus. Like we are all got, like everybody here got to experience that. And I don't know if you felt it, but man, I felt it. And maybe it's all me, but like it felt good this morning knowing that he got whipped again. That's second. And so the second point, conquered evil by never giving in, by also dying for mankind. 1 Peter 3.18 says, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. 
He never sinned, but he sinned for sinners. Or he died for sinners, I'm sorry, to bring you safely home to God. He died for sinners to bring you and me safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. So Christ conquered evil by never giving in, by dying for mankind, by being raised from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says, And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. That means, that list, it does nothing. It's just checking boxes. You see, there's no works. The list is irrelevant. Only Jesus. That's it. Only Jesus. And the fourth thing he did to conquer evil was by his reincarnation. In Hebrews 2.14, we know that the Bible says, Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. You see, Jesus came to this earth to be just like us. And he did it to remedy our sin. He didn't have to do it. But he chose to. And it was a free choice. And it was something that was spoken about before it happened. He came, he lived a perfect life, and he died on the cross, and he was resurrected. He disarmed Satan and evil. The blood of Christ is sufficient to cover all of our guilt. Complete salvation should create a devotion to Christ because we are complete in him. So if we're, com if we're complete in our salvation, we're complete in Christ, we should have a complete devotion to Christ. That's all in. What does it take to get us to where we need to be, to do what we need to do? See, if, if Jesus came to destroy evil, we should use the platform that we have. And this is where things start to get a little fun, and we're going to apply some stuff. Because everybody in this room has a platform. Everybody's got a platform. I don't know where your platform is or where it is. You see, we have people from what we said, 10 to like 90, almost 96. Everybody in here has a platform. Some platforms have changed. Maybe you're a teacher. Maybe you're a doctor. Maybe you're a lawyer. Maybe you're a stay-at-home parent. Maybe you're a grandparent. Maybe you're retired. Maybe you're a student. You have a platform to reach people. Because Jared stands up here every week and does an amazing job. Chris and Billy stand here every Wednesday night and pour it out. For Jesus to kids. But by themselves, they cannot reach everybody. And they're not going to reach everybody. You see, there are people who don't connect with me, and I don't connect with them. And that's not a negative connotation, and I'm not trying to talk bad, but sometimes you just don't mesh. Like, I'm a baseball fan. I love to watch baseball, and I love Jesus. Like, I don't know much about soccer. I'll talk to you about it. I talked to you about math a minute ago. Like, we're not going to connect on a math problem, right? But there's people that I can connect to, and I can go to them and give them Jesus. There are people that you can connect to. You can use your platform to go connect with people, to give them Jesus. Because <clears throat> they'll listen to you when they want to me. Okay? So how do we do that? If Jesus came to destroy evil, we should use our platform, one, to lift his name up. And everything that we do, lift up the name of Jesus. You can do it anywhere and everywhere. And look, you can be vulnerable. It's okay to make mistakes and mess up. Because that shows how real you are, and it shows the power of Jesus. So one, lift up the name of Jesus. Second, further his kingdom here on earth. So we talked about Tuesday, go out to the community. Go reach people. Everybody's not going to come in the doors here. I'm a weird, quirky person. I like my little corner. I like my comfortable area. I like to be in that zone and just get there. 
And when I get out of it, it's like, some of y'all are like me. And my parents didn't make me go to church when I was little. I say make me, they didn't force me. But you know what I'm saying? Like, they were my parents. We went to church. That's what happened. That was from like teeny tiny. Like, I remember telling my Sunday school teacher, like, lies. I'd lie to her in church. I really did. Like, she was like, Why are your, where are your parents? I was like, ah, they're just not here, you know. And they're walking down the hallway. And she'd look at me. I'd be like, whoop. You know, I got to go. Like, I just was a storyteller from the start, I guess. I don't know. Um, but, like, we got to further his kingdom. Some of y'all can go and further the kingdom. We can't do it in these walls. We got to get outside. Like, we got we to gotta go. Like, there's people that need to hear the, the gospel of Jesus, right? And sometimes it's us going to where we're supposed to be. And sometimes we're just, we have to, like, we have to listen. Like, sometimes it's a text on a Friday afternoon when you've worked all week and you're tired and you can't wait to get home. And you're going to go home and clean the house. That's not what my plans were. Those are the plans that were given to me. Um, my plan was to go to Giovanni's and eat. And that was cool. I was excited about that because I love pizza and carbs and greasy stuff and it's not good, but whatever. Like, those are my plans. And then sometimes you get a text that says, hey, there's some college kids that are a little homesick and they haven't seen their family since July. Look, I never went that long without seeing my parents, okay? They haven't seen their family since July. Some of them are from California, from New Mexico, from Florida, South Carolina, and, and they just need some people. Okay, so let's go get the church bus. Let's go get some pizza, and let's have a party. And we did, Friday night. I'm not bragging on us because somebody came to us and said, look, we need somebody just to spend some time with them. I'm like, okay, let's cool, let's do this. We had an absolute blast in Jesus, and it was completely unplanned. You see, sometimes it's our plans that go out to people, but sometimes the plans come to you through other people, through the life that you live. And the third thing, how to destroy evil, use our platform to work until everyone, everywhere, hears the gospel from a friend. Like I said, not everybody's going to listen to me, and that's okay. I'll deal with it all day, every day. I got 90 kids. Some of them don't want to hear anything I have to say, and that's cool. Like, it is what it is. You got your choice. That's fine. But there are people who will listen to you that won't listen to me, and we can tell them about Jesus. See, one of the things we do in the middle school, or in the high school, I'm sorry, is gospelize. Until every teen hears the gospel from a friend, right? Every teen everywhere hears the gospel from a, a friend. They're more likely to listen to you than they are other people. So that's how we can do it. So as Christians and believers in Christ, we should leave people. We should leave our community. We should leave our family and families, organizations better than we found them. Move the needle ahead. My parents moved the needle. It's my responsibility to move the needle I need to leave our faith. I need to leave our salvation. I need to leave a stronger focus on Jesus Christ in my son than I had in myself. That's what I'm supposed to do. And we're supposed to do it in real and relevant ways. Let me take a second because tonight we have an album that's going to drop at midnight on all the platforms across the world. Amazon Music, Apple Music, Spotify, you, whatever you listen to, I don't even know what it is, YouTube. Is it on YouTube? It, be on the YouTubes? All right. So, like, all the way across, Real and Relevant is the name of it. Because in this church, we believe that we're going to supposed to take Christ in real and relevant ways. Okay, so how in real and relevant ways, how do we do that? Well, we live it. Let's talk about that for a second. Let's go back. We're chosen. Point one, we're chosen. On October the 21st, 1996, my uncle... Um, 
We came home from school. I was 12 at the time. There's no social media. There's no text. There's no electronic tickets. You're going to see why in just a second that matters. But we go October 21st. We come home, and he surprises me, my 15-year-old brother, and my cousin with tickets to the World Series. Yo. I mean, like I'm a 12-year-old kid. I'm giddy. Like baseball's my jam. I'm like, whoo. Let's double down here. It's the Atlanta Braves. That's my favorite team. Don't talk about yesterday, okay? But, like, that's my favorite team, like, in the whole world. Like, I look up to them. I come home every day with my papa and watch the Braves on TBS. Like, we were with them when they were terrible, too. So don't think that this is just, like, a bandwagon thing because they were horrible in 1990, okay? So, like, they're still our team. So we're sitting there. He's like, we're going to go to the World Series. I'm like, oh, that's what I'm talking about. I'm so excited. And he's like, but we don't have the tickets. I'm like, wait. With you, you're like, what kind of joke is that? He's like, no, we've got the tickets, but we just don't have the tickets. And I'm like, at this point, I'm 12. I'm like, I don't know what he's talking about. Does anybody have a snack? You know, like, you know, how 12 year olds are. And so we have to track them down. My dad ends up going to the Martin, I think, to the FedEx guy, finding the tickets. So we get them, and we drive, and we go to Atlanta, and we're going to stay with my cousin, who's in veterinary school at Auburn University. Okay, so on October the 22nd, 1996, I went to World Series Game Three. I have a hatred for the New York Yankees today that has stemmed from then. I do, yes. I'm maybe, I don't know. I don't know what I need, but I still haven't gotten over it. I still hate the Yankees today because of what happened. We won't get into that either. But on October 22nd, 1996, we went to the game. And when I say my uncle got us there early, we were there at 12. Okay, the game was like 8 o'clock. Like we went to every batting practice. Anytime we went to a baseball field, we went to batting practice. And you took a glove. And you called everybody by Mr. or Sir. That's just how you spoke to people. And I love that. It taught me a whole lot. But we went. We spent the day in Atlanta Fulton County Stadium. This is 12-year-old me. I told you it really happened. It really happened. There's 12-year-old me. There's my ticket. Notice the price, $48, including the service fee. It's pretty good. We literally sat almost in the lights like we were so high up. I mean, like really, it was a bunch of ants running around playing baseball. It's really cool if you've never seen it happen. That ants play ball, but like, yeah. So this ball is really important to me. It has zero value monetarily to anybody in this room besides me because it has a ton of sentimental value. Because like David Justice was the man. He was a left-handed, like he was, if you don't know him, maybe he wasn't that much of the man, but to me he was the man. Like he had a sweet swing. He was an outfielder for the Braves, and I used to watch him. And the ball hit, and you can still see the turf mark from the, the AstroTurf in Atlanta. Now, this was in batting practice, okay? So I didn't get a World Series game ball, but I got a batting practice ball, which was important. If somebody had thrown me the ball where I was sitting, <laughs> whew, a rocket man, you're talking about that, that would be an arm and a half. But, like, he, he caught the ball, and he pointed at me, 12-year-old me standing in the front row, because I've been there literally all day, like all day long. And like there was a gap. If you ever went to Cincinnati to Riverfront Stadium, you know there's a gap between the fence and the bleachers. And so there's a gap there. And I'm like leaning over, you know. And my mom and dad would have died. My uncle was like, get out there. You know, like (laughs) he's pulling me back a little bit, just making sure that I was okay. But he pointed straight at me and he threw the baseball. And I caught it. Out of all the people in the bleachers, he chose me. Do you know what that did to the 12-year-old kids? Like, not only did I love baseball at that point, like at that point, there's nothing you can do to rip this out of my soul. Like, it's forever. Like, I was chosen by him. Do you know what's more powerful than that? Today I'm chosen by Jesus. You see that work that he did on the cross when he took all the stuff 
and nailed it and threw it away and cast it as far as away as he could. He did that for me. He did it for you. There was nothing I did that day to deserve a baseball to fall on my glove. Nothing. He just did it. That means so much to me. How much more does it mean that Jesus did what he did for me? That's point one, we were chosen. Point two, we're also forgiven. On March the 19th, 2012, um, we, um, we were in Cincinnati Children's Hospital. You see, five days before that, we found out our son was almost blind. And I'm forever indebted to people, some in this room, I can never repay, ever, what they did for him. Because in four weeks, he would have been blind from the time that we went. Four weeks away. That's closer than Thanksgiving is to us today. We carried him back to surgery, and he was two months old. And they let us go to the line. And here's surgery, and here's us. And we couldn't go a step farther. And we handed him over to the nurse. And about that time, Amber just naturally, as a mom would, she broke down. And I don't know where I had strength from. I had no idea. Because at the same time that was going on, she had just had a cancer diagnosis. And my world was a whirlwind, just to say the least. Like, I'm telling you, one day from the next, I didn't know what appointment we were going to. I didn't know what city we were supposed to go in. I didn't know what town we were staying. I didn't know what hotel. I didn't know anything. I had no clue. I just knew that there was a multitude of people praying over us, for us, and there to help us in any way we could. And there's a lot of people I missed that I don't even know helped us. But I know I just stood there and held her. And she got through it. And then I lost it. In the midst of all that, we never received a bill for surgery. I didn't know that. I wasn't thinking about bills for surgery. I was thinking about, I hope my child can see. And I hope my wife is healed. Like that's all that mattered in my life at that point. I didn't care. What kind, I, I mean, we, we didn't make enough money to pay it off, but we would just pay it, whatever. But I didn't think about that. And I'll tell you, I promise you, it was nine years later, we sat in the doctor's office, and Amber and I had been talking, and she finally spoke up and said, Dr. Young, we never got a bill for surgery. And he went, and this is the guy that, like, he does math problems, right, to figure out your prescription. He's a smart guy. And he, we stumped him. And he was like, well, it's after a year, it, it it doesn't matter anyway, but this has puzzled me. That's what he said in exactly those words. And so, like, we were like, well, I don't know what's going on, you know. Like, so we had a debt that we never paid. $36,000 is what we found out this week. $36,916.80 we owed to Cincinnati Children's Hospital to save our son's vision. Listen, in the grand scheme of things, for him to be able to see, I don't care how much it was. It didn't matter. There was no amount of money that I wouldn't work the rest of my life to try to pay off to make sure that he could see. I don't know what happened to that debt. They don't know what happened to that debt. But we do know that it's paid in full. More important than that, there's a debt that I owe because of the sin in my life, because of the doubt in my life, 
because of, and you fill in the blank wherever you are, that I could never repay. I can check all the boxes I want to check. I can do all the good deeds. I can fill every blessing box there is. I can take every college kid out for pizza and a crazy ride through the mountains that they don't think they're going to make it back on, on the bus. No offense to the bus, but like, I can do all that, but it's not going to get me to heaven. See, there's a debt that I owe that I can't repay. But Jesus did it. See, we couldn't pay the surgery. We didn't know what it was. We didn't know what the cost was. But somebody took care of that on our behalf. And Jesus took care of that on our behalf. So the second thing we are is we're forgiven. The third thing that we can do is we can use our platform to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, my platform is different than your platform. And that's perfectly okay because God gives us exactly what we need to be equipped to do his work where we are. We started a, a, a baseball league. Um, our church is really, like, cool. <laughs> I'm a middle school teacher. I don't know if that's the right word or not, but, like, you get my picture. Like, it's cool. Um, we talked Tuesday at the summit. Lee Webb talked about how there's all these, these possibilities, and then you start to think, well, we couldn't do that because of this. See, the funding's not there. Or we don't have the land to do it. We don't have the people uh, we have little faith is, is what that all breaks down to in some situations because we sat down and, and I had told Amber for years, I just wanted, I love baseball, I just want to teach baseball and teach Jesus and like, what better, like how much better could it get to do baseball and Jesus? And some of y'all are like terrible, but I think it's amazing. Like, and so I'm excited. And so I told her, and she's like, you should do that. I was like, that's crazy. There's no way. And she's like, you should do that. And like, look, I was like, no, it's crazy. And she's like, you really need to do it. So I, I kind of talked to Jared a little bit about it, and he's like, you should do it. And I'm like, you're not supposed to say that. Like, so we sat down in the elders meeting, and I presented an idea, and I said, look, I, just, I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know what to do. I have no idea what's going to come of it. I just know that I feel a strong passion to teach Jesus and baseball at the same time to kids who aren't involved in anything at this point in their lives. We have a boxing gym at this church, which is like whatever it's crazy but it's cool too and so I thought well maybe we can do this and so I sat down and they they were like overwhelming yes and they said here's three thousand dollars to get you started go for it and I was like that's awesome and I was like oh gosh now what you know because like listen Tuesday night I got a text and the guy said I don't have a bible it's one of the dads and he said do you know where I can get one I text him, I was like, yeah, you'll have one Thursday. $3,000 is a drop in the bucket compared to what his soul is worth. And his family, his wife, his children are going to see different lives. And I'm confident because not only did he say he was excited about it, he said, where do I start? And I was like, well, you can start about anywhere, but how about the book of John? Read a chapter a day and just go for it. It tells you everything you need to know. He texted me Friday night and said, I got a question. About John chapter 6, verse 53. And I was like, wait. I'll give it to you Thursday. It's Friday night. Bro, you're killing it. Like, and, and then I was trying to figure out, like, I was explaining to him in a big, long text and all that stuff. And then he said, well, I'm on chapter 10 now. By the time I texted him back, he was on chapter 10. I was like, holy cow. Like, it's not about me. But God pushed this situation to my plate. And now... There's an opportunity for a family to go to heaven that was not going to go to heaven. Like that to me is the best thing that could ever happen. But not only on top of that, but we also got another situation where we have a nine-year-old boy whose mom is in hospice care. 
and they just found out that she was going into hospice care. And it's, it's a, I don't know. I don't know what I would do. See, on a Monday night, he came, and he, he, was, he struggled, and he was just out here having fun. And then that night, he hit like three or four baseballs into the outfield, and it was legit. Like, he, he was legit hitting it. And before that, I watched him for years. He'd never done that. And we were all like, man, he's getting it. How awesome is that? And that night was his mom's birthday, and he went to her birthday party at their church. And there's a picture that you can see on Facebook where he's hugging her, and they are both smiling The next night at practice, his dad pulled me to the side and said, we're going home to tell them. They don't know that she's been placed in hospice care. They think she has two weeks to live. See, Jesus wasn't using baseball for baseball. It was bigger than that. There's families that are changed. There's, she got to see her kid be excited about doing the best he's ever done before she went to heaven. And he got to experience that moment. And that, that can never be taken away. He may never play at a higher level than he is right now, but that to, is so important. And it's life-changing. You see, not only are we chosen, but we're forgiven, and we're given a platform. And I want you to, to watch this clip, and then we'll finish it. from me. I am a sinful man. You don't know who I am and the things I've done. Don't be afraid, Simon. I'm sorry. We, we've waited for you for so long. We believe, but my faith, I'm sorry. Lift up your head, fisherman. Anything you ask, I will do. Follow me. Fish are nothing. You have much bigger things ahead of you, Simon, son of Jonah. Did you understand that parable I told earlier? From now on, I will make you fishers of men, and you are to gather as many as possible, all kinds. I will sort them out later. As the praise team comes up, we, we have a responsibility 
And I love when Jesus got on his level and just said, follow me. That's all you have to do. Just follow. He will sort it all out. We just need to follow him. So I want to ask you as I close, as we prepare for a song, what debt did Jesus leave on the cross on your behalf? What did he take from you to leave on the cross? What sins can no longer control your life? And how can you use your platform to change your world for Jesus Christ?